Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that your son, Jesus Christ, God of glory, that there is none like him, there is none like you. It is an honor beyond words to think that God wrapped in human flesh came down to this earth and out of your great love for us that Christ lived the perfect life, sinless life, and that he willingly died upon the cross, that he died a terrible, unimaginable death in our place. And for this, Lord, we are eternally grateful. Father, I pray that today as we open up your word, would you please direct our hearts to the right place. Keep us from distractions and allow us to understand the text that we hear today and to know that you alone, Lord, are indeed the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father apart from you. Bless this time now, Lord, for the sake of your own glory, and by the power of your Spirit, would you speak to the hearts of each person in your church today, because that's something that only you can do. And so carry us now, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, please take your seats. Well, uh, Church, I'm honored to be able to be here with you today and to open up God's Word. We're going to be looking at John chapter 14, verse 6. And so I want you to turn your Bibles there with me now. That's John chapter 14, verse 6. But as you do that, I'd love to share with you a little story that I came across this past week. Now, recently, uh, my wife and I, we've, we've been actually doing quite a bit of reading and looking into things and taking a bit of an interest in history and specifically taking an interest in the topic of royalty. And so during our time researching some of the great kings and great queens of the past, I came across a very interesting fact. Often, whenever a great king or queen ruled a dynasty, they would sit high above the common people, and they would be pretty disconnected from them. They would sit on their thrones. And what I found is that as you look back in history, in most kingdoms and in most royal palaces, there would be a throne room, and this throne room would function as the royal court. The king would have very royal robes that are, that's clearly pointing to his status as the ruler and the ultimate judge in the kingdom. Now, in particular, there was one story about a king that stood out to me. And as I learned more about this, I became fascinated more and more with someone named King Charles XI, who was born in Sweden. Now, he reigned in Sweden from 1660 to 1697, and he was actually credited with uh, restoring Sweden's financial stability and bringing great prosperity to the land. But it is said that King Charles XI would wear a gray cloak on top of his royal uniform, and that he would actually hide his royal identity. You see, he would travel around in the land. He would come down off his throne and he would travel in the land amongst the common people with his cloak on because he would investigate whether local officials that he had commissioned were corrupt or whether they were oppressing the people. And if he found evidence of guilt, he would immediately and apparently very dramatically throw off his cloak in a dramatic fashion and he would reveal his royal identity to his people and then he would punish evildoers in his kingdom. Now, this became known as the legend of the gray cloak. And in fact, uh, the, the character of Gandalf in Lord of the Rings has a bit of a connection to this as well. 
And so why do I share any of this with you? Why do I share all of this with you? Well, I think like King Charles XI, we too know a king that came down from his throne to be among his people out of his great love for them. That more than any great human king of the past, we're going to see today in John chapter 14, verse 6, that there are three key realities revealed about Jesus Christ that will help us to know that Christ is the only way to the one true living God. And so let's read John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6, although we're going to be focusing on verse 6 in our message. And so I would ask, church, please stand with me now, actually, as we read God's word. Let's honor God in the way we read his word. John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. God's word says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Church, you may take your seats. Now, church, as we begin studying our passage today, we need to understand really two key items of context about this passage in God's Word. First, I want you to understand this. The theme of John chapter 14 can be summarized in one word, and that one word is comfort. John chapter 14 can be summarized as comfort. See, all of this chapter takes place in something called the upper room. Jesus knows that he soon is going to be crucified. And so this takes place shortly before that. And he chooses to spend these very last moments before his crucifixion with the people that love him most, which are the disciples. This isn't a big public discussion. This isn't Jesus teaching the very large crowds. This is an intimate conversation that Jesus is having with a very small group of people, which are his disciples inside this home in the upper room. Now, Jesus had told the disciples, he had told them that his time was coming, that the Son of Man would be lifted up, that he'd be crucified and mocked upon the cross. And we see this predicted by Christ through all of the gospel accounts. And the Lord made it clear these were his final moments. But the disciples did not yet understand the difficulties of the days that were to come ahead. And so we need to recognize as we read John chapter 14 today that this tone of comfort is important. Because if we read this text as a harsh set of words, then we aren't faithfully representing the love that Christ has for us. We aren't representing the love that Christ is displaying to his disciples in this passage. See, the tone of this text is somber. It's caring. It's like someone passing on their last words in their final moments. And so we need to remember that as we read this text. And secondly, it leads us to our second key observation about our context, which I think is crucial to our understanding today. And it's this. Jesus here presents an exclusive message. And what do I mean by that? See, Jesus here says this. He says, 
I, he, excuse me, he, he says to his disciples that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And so there's an emphasis on the in this whole text. And what that simply means is this. The whole passage is singular. It is exclusive. It simply means that there is no other way. And just like the latter part of, part of this verse, no one comes to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And so this message is exclusive by definition because Christ is telling us that there is only one way to God and it is through him. Now Jesus reveals himself to his disciples in the last moments before the cross and he does this out of his great love for them. He tells them exactly who he is so that they can have full assurance in him. And he knew what they needed and he was providing this for them beforehand. And for us today as we read this, this should be a great comfort a great reassurance that his loving words are to us to remember. You see, Jesus is lovingly revealing to us the truth of who he really is in these final moments. Now I want to get to our text. Let's read verse 6 again. Jesus says to him, and that is Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so today we're going to examine Christ as the way, as the truth, and as the life. And our first point will start out with this. To know God means that I must trust Jesus Christ as the only way to God. I must trust Jesus Christ as the only way to God. Now, what way is Jesus speaking of here? We need to start off with some key understanding. Scripture tells us that man's condition here in this life is that we are lost. Man does not have the way. The curse of sin has infected all of creation. And the, and the scriptures tell us about that in Genesis chapter 3. That Adam and Eve, who were the first people that were ever created by God, they chose to disobey him. And because of this, sin entered into the world. And so everything that we see around us today whether it be death, decay, natural disasters, pandemics, all of this is a result of living in this sinful, fallen, and cursed world. And now if that wasn't bad enough, Romans chapter 3 verse 11 tells us this, there's no one who understands God. There's no one who seeks God. All of us in our natural state have turned away. There's none who does good, not even one. The prophet Jeremiah he says this in the Old Testament. The heart of man is wickedly deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And so for us, as we read this, we need to understand that humanity is classified by God as lost. We don't know our way. And nothing that we do, no matter how good the many works we have, no matter how much we try to earn our way back to God, we are lost. But... This is the grace of God, that Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus Christ came to save us. He came to reconcile man with God. Now, I want to ask you a question, church. Has anyone here ever been traveling or ever been lost before? We live in this modern day of GPS and satellites and cell phones, and so very few of us, I find, in today's society are actually ever really lost. But I remember this, that years ago when I was a young boy, my parents had put me in uh, a scout organization, 
And one of the things that they would do at the end of the summer as we wrapped up the, the, the season is that they would take all of us out, all of us young boys out, and they would take us into the middle of a forest. And they'd leave us with a leader, but they would take us to the middle of the forest, and then they would give us a compass, and sometimes they would give us a map as well. And what they would do then is that they would tell us that using that compass and using that map, we have to find our way back to the main campsite. Now, this was often pretty scary. And sometimes it would even take the whole day for us. And it would be generally a group of us that would be doing that. And it would take the whole day. And sometimes it would even start to get dark before we would find our way back to the main campsite. Now, you see, most of us in this life, we take the way for granted. But when you're lost, when you don't have the way, that might be one of the scariest things that can ever happen to you. Christian author and commentator F.B. Meyer, he says this, The true value of the way is never realized until we are following it through an unknown country or groping along it in almost absolute darkness. And so whether you're in the middle of a forest or you're in a foreign country where no one speaks your language or there are no signs around you, to be lost and to not have the way is a terrifying thing. We see in God's word that knowing the way, knowing the way is a lifeline. It is a comfort. It's an assurance. Knowing the path that's ahead of you, that's clearly defined and that leads to our destination, this is a grace from God. And so when Jesus Christ tells us that he is the way, I want you to understand, church, that this is an immense gift from God. In fact, even the early church, before, before the church was called Christians, the early Jewish believers of the church, they were called followers of the way. You see, the way here means the way to know God. It is the ultimate spiritual reality that Christ is revealing to us. And so anyone that follows the way knows God. And to know God means that I must trust that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. There aren't multiple paths to God. There aren't many different religions that all lead to God. There is only one way. That is what the Bible presents us with, and that is what the words of Christ tell us today. And God, because he is love in Jesus Christ, is telling us that. This is what the Lord assures Thomas here, and he assures the disciples with this as he reveals himself to them. He says he is the only way. And the disciples would need to remember this. They need to remember this fundamental truth as they later went and they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so for us today in this church, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ, we can have full assurance, just as Christ assured Thomas and the disciples here, that he is the way. You see, Thomas, on that side of the cross, he didn't fully understand what was about to happen a few days later. But when Christ was crucified, the scriptures tell us that he bore the sins of all those that trusted upon him on that cross, that he died in your place. And scripture tells us that on the third day, that when Christ rose again, he defeated death once and for all. He paid the ultimate price of sin. And so if you're a believer, this should comfort you immensely. You no longer live life lost. You are now found. You have a clear purpose, a clear destination. You aren't lost in the forest of your own sin. The way has been opened and you have been reconciled with God. We are no longer enemies of God, but friends of God. And so I think there's some very quick application here for us, friends. 
if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, I want to ask you this. Does your life show that you believe Jesus to be the only way to God? Now, most, most of us as believers would say, yes, absolutely. We believe in Christ alone for salvation. However, I think the application actually goes much further than that. You see, if we truly believe Christ to be the only way to God, then we would understand the urgency of the gospel. We'd be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ urgently with everyone around us who doesn't know the way. Because you're either lost or you know the way. And so you see, if Jesus Christ is the only way to God, if Christ is the only way to be reconciled with God, as the text tells us today, then our hearts should be broken and burdened by the men and women who are passing away each day without the saving knowledge of the gospel. Scripture makes it clear that all people, all of us, we all have eternal souls. And without Christ, we're lost. There is no way to God. And for me, this was a great reminder, church, even as I read this passage this week and as I meditate upon it, I remember that there are people who are passing away. There are people that are passing away in your very workplace, in our neighborhoods, in our families that have never heard of the one way to the true God. And so if we have, by God's grace, been given the way, and if we're no longer lost, then what is our response for those that are lost around us? Now, perhaps this is something you'd like to bring to the Lord in confession today or ask for his help in. But I know that I myself have needed to go to the Lord constantly to be reminded of the urgency of the gospel. And I believe this to be a key application of our passage today. You see, Christ is sharing this message with his disciples. And so this is primarily for believers. It was the exclusivity of Christ as the only way to God that caused the disciples to share the good news of the gospel with the world around them. And we see this all over the New Testament, and we see this in the history of the church as well. So, in recognizing Jesus as the only way to God, this brings us now to our second point, which is this. To know God means that I must understand Christ as the only truth about God. See, when Jesus says, I am the truth, what truth specifically is Jesus speaking of here? Now, as you go back and you see in the, the culture that the disciples used to live in, they were living at a time when lies abounded all over. And it's much like today's culture that we live in today. The Romans had a multitude of gods in the Roman culture around them, and they claimed that they knew the truth about God. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they claimed to know the truth about God as well. But Jesus here refutes all of that. Christ says that he himself is the only truth. He is the truth. He is the truth about God. And so this is the statement of ultimate truth. And that's a great offense to most people then. And I think it continues to be a great offense to most people today. You see, people somehow take this statement of truth as offensive, even though that I believe as you read the context of our passage, it's actually out of God's great love for us that he shares the truth of the specific and only true way to be saved. And I want to give you a concrete example to illustrate this. Before our wedding day, my wife and I, uh, we sent out wedding invitations. And now these invitations, they had very specific and very true instructions on them. You see, our wedding ceremony was at a specific time, it was at a specific location, and then our wedding reception happened at a, at a specific time and specific location as well. 
And now we gave those invitations out and we gave them to people that we loved, people who were close to us, our family and our friends. Now, if I gave them specific and true instructions on those invitations, I want to ask you, church, was that unkind or unloving? Could they show up at any church or any banquet hall for the wedding or reception? No. They had to show up at Hope Bible Church Markham at 2 p.m. on April 4th, 2014 to watch Victoria and I get married here exactly where I'm standing today. And so they had to follow very specific instructions. And I wasn't being unkind by telling them that there's no other way. You see, this is the only way. The only truth of how you can attend our wedding is if you come here at this time and this specific place. And so the invitation was exclusive, but it was exclusive for the benefit of those being called. And in the same way, I believe that when Jesus tells the disciples here that he is the only way and the only truth, I actually think that points back to Christ's love for us. At this point in their lives, these disciples, they had given up everything to follow Christ. They had left behind their families, their jobs, we see that they left behind, the, even with two of the disciples, their father and the boat, their professions, their communities. And so as the Jews that ostracized them around them, they had literally given up everything they knew to follow Christ. And so when the Lord tells them that He is the truth, this is meant to be a great comfort. It's meant to be a reassurance that Christ is exactly who He says He is. Christ is stating authoritatively here, He alone is the truth, and He alone is the way. Church, we live in something today in our modern times that's called the postmodern era. And people have come to believe that they know the truth about everything, and that somehow they can claim, that each of us can claim or determine our own truth. There are simple, basic truths that are now being contested by our society in the topics of gender or morality and more. And everyone and everything operates on what they alone believe to be true. But even on top of this, every religion on earth claims to know the truth of God. But friends, we can't all be right. See, one theologian, he puts it like this. All true truth is God's truth. All true truth comes from God. It doesn't matter how much you believe something. It doesn't matter how much you wish something was true. Truth is truth, and it isn't based on our feelings. This applies in basic scientific laws and laws of nature, and all the more so, it applies in the truth of the spiritual realm as well. The Bible tells us that there is only one God, and there's one God in heaven who exists, but he exists as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as we sung about this morning. Scripture goes on to tell us that when we die, we will all face God, we will all face Christ and be judged by Him. And all other religions will actually lead to eternal separation from God. And so this exclusive statement that Jesus shares, it points back to Christ's love that He has because He desires that man would be saved. He desires that man would know the truth of salvation in Christ alone. And so friend, here's the bottom line to all of this. The very Bible that you hold in your hands is the truth about God. The Bible does make an exclusive truth statement. Every word, every detail, every sentence, we believe as believers that all of it was authored by God and delivered to us through men by the will of God. Now, how do we know that? There are many things that point to this. 
It's one miraculous book written over the span of 2,000 years by 40 different authors. One consistent message, completely self-consistent with no contradictions. And day by day, there's even evidence that's coming external to the Bible. There's archaeological evidence and there's, there's historians that wrote about Christ, such as Josephus. And so I believe that there are specific prophecies as well as you go through the scriptures. There are prophecies about Christ himself that are written thousands of years before he entered into the world and there were many predictions about what happened to him on the cross that were fulfilled exactly as he said they would be. And we could go on for hours here, but the point is the Bible is true regardless of how anyone might feel about it. And so our faith is based on an objective fact. Our faith is based on an exclusive truth claim. In John chapter 17, Jesus, as he prays, he says this, Father, sanctify them by, the tr- by your truth. Your word is truth. And so you see, knowing the truth of God means that we must look back to God's word alone as truth. When Christ says that he is the truth, that means that all truth comes from him. He is the standard and the author of all truth. Our own hearts, our own minds, they are prone to self-deception because of our formerly sinful nature. But the bottom line is this, man does not determine truth, only God does. And so we need to evaluate ourselves daily. We need to go back to the fundamental truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ by his word to us. I believe that's the key takeaway from understanding that Christ is the truth. Now, I want to move on to our third point, which is this. To know God means that I must seek Christ as the only source of life from God. You see, Jesus says, I am the life. And so the obvious question is, what life is Christ speaking of here? John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Church, Jesus Christ is the only source of life because He Himself as the scriptures reveal to us, is the creator of all life. You see, the world around us today, it operates with a veneer, with a cover, where the world pretends that it will give you life. But in reality, Christ here is revealing that all the world can actually offer is actually death. You see, things may seem like they'll give you life, but at best, those things will only provide temporary satisfaction while leading to sin, decay, and death. And so I believe nothing of this world can truly satisfy the human soul and provide everlasting and spiritual life. And this is the life that Christ is speaking about when he responds to Thomas and the disciples. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells us this. He says that he has come that we may have life and have it abundantly. And he even says to Mary and Martha that I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And so Christ is telling us that by believing in him, we will have true life. This includes both spiritual life, no longer dead in our sins, but also eternal life as well in the age to come. By trusting in Jesus Christ, we can be assured that the life of God through the power of God's spirit is given to us. 
were raised from death, formerly dead in our sins, were now raised to life in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. And so believers in Jesus Christ will live forever and we will always have life. This is the great assurance that Christ tells his disciples. Again, he says this in John chapter 10, slightly earlier. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Not one of them will, excuse me, and not, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And so, friends, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then your life is in Christ. Christ is the source of all spiritual life, of all true life. In order for man to truly live, we must be connected to our source of life, who is Jesus Christ. And so each of us, I think, has a very clear application from this. We need to ask ourselves, are we walking in fellowship with him? Am I living day by day, moment by moment, connected to the true source of life? Or is there anything else that we've allowed into our lives that falsely or subtly believe will give us life instead of Christ? Is getting into the word, time in small group, fellowshipping with other believers, is this a priority for you? And do we trust and do we believe that this is indeed where we will encounter Christ? And if we encounter Christ, this is what will give us life. I know for myself, I face this temptation many a time. And see, sometimes it seems like the TV binge is going to give us a, a form of life or somehow it's going to give us rest in life or maybe a shopping spree or a video game marathon or maybe going out with people who we know are going to be involved in sinful activities and the list goes on. So you see, I'm not saying that some of these things are inherently wrong, but what I am saying is this. The scriptures make it clear. We ought to not confuse. We, we should not confuse what truly gives us life. Christ reminds us that he alone is the life. And so we need to remember that the world and the sin the world and sin are attractive. If sin wasn't attractive then no one would sin. If the world didn't falsely promise us life then no one would go for it. And we see that even back in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, Satan tempts Eve by the false promise that eating from the tree she would somehow be more satisfied, that she would somehow have a more full life, that she would be like God. You see, there are things that may seem that they will give us life, but in the end, we'll only be left more empty and we'll be left with the aroma of death. And so when Christ tells the disciples, when he tells us that he is the life, then our lives ought to represent that because in our hearts, we need to be constantly reminded that true life is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the only source of life. And so as we conclude our message today, We've seen that the only way is God's way. The only truth is God's truth. The only life is God's life. But now let's see what Christ means when he says the very last part of verse 6, which is no one comes to the Father except through me. We need to understand this. What does it mean to call God Father? I remember when I was a new believer over a decade ago, I used to wonder, I said, why, why do we call God Father? How does that make sense? Because that was something that was foreign. It was, new to, it was very new to me. But scripture reveals to us that calling God as father, and this is something that is, it's prime, it's, the Jews knew about it in the Old Testament, and it's something that's spoken of much in the New Testament. 
This concept of God as Father was given to the Jewish people, to God's originally chosen people. But because of the holiness of God, they often referred to God by a multitude of other names, and the Jews actually did not dare to address him directly as God the Father. You see, they used names such as El Shaddai, God Almighty, or El Olam, Everlasting God, or El Elyon, the Most High God. God's people understood that God was immensely holy and that man was sinful and separate from God. And so even though he was God the Father, they wouldn't call him that. Now the term Father is significant because it allows us to understand how God relates to his people. That term Abba or Father in the original text, it's an Aramaic word and it expresses to us a sense of confidence, of affection, of trust, it speaks of the closeness that are, of her relationship of a perfect, loving father and his trusting child. The child is dependent upon the father, and the father loves and cares for the well-being of his child. Now, this is significant because out of all the religions on the planet, none address God as father in this most intimate way. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 tells us that for those who trust in Jesus Christ... God has adopted us and that we can now call him Father. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 speaks about how the, spirit, the Spirit's work of, adoptions, uh, of adoption excuse me, makes believers of Jesus Christ fellow heirs with Christ, that we are adopted into the kingdom of God. And so for us as believers, we can call God Father. But this is perhaps what is most surprising. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it's revealed to us that not all people can actually call God Father. You see, contrary to popular belief, not everyone is a child of God. Everyone is created by God, but John chapter 1, verse 12 makes clear. It says this, But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so to call God Father is a great honor, and that is what is given to us as believers in Jesus. God as Father speaks to the fullness of who God really is, His power, His authority, and it speaks to the love that God the Father has and that He deals with us now as His family. And so we need to understand that this is God the Father and that Christ is the only way to Him. To not be separated by the chasm of sin that has broken our relationship with him, we need to be redeemed from death to life, and that can only be done through Jesus Christ. We can only have reconciliation with God. We can only have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And lastly, we need to understand this. Again, the verse says, if you had, as you go on and actually read verse 7, right after what we're, what we're studying today, Christ goes on to tell the disciples, he said, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And so this entire passage today, this entire text that we study is actually a statement of deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2 chapter 9 says this, for in him, that is Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of God, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so you see, Thomas here, when we go back to our text, he was asking a very pragmatic, down-to-earth question. When he says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He likely expected a very down-to-earth answer. He probably expected some sort of physical location. 
And some even think that Thomas might have made the same errors, the same error that actually the Pharisees did in John chapter 7. When Jesus says to the Pharisees, he says, you cannot come where I go. It says there that the Pharisees wondered which physical location on earth he was traveling to. But you see, that wasn't the answer. Jesus says, I am the way. I, myself, I am the way to God. I am the great I am who always existed, who always was, who has no beginning and no end. Jesus Christ himself claims that I am the way. You see, Jesus doesn't simply show us the way. He doesn't simply tell us the way. He doesn't simply open up to us a new way. He himself is the way. He himself is the truth. And he himself is the life. And so if you know Christ, then you know the Father. If you know Jesus Christ, then you know God. You must have a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ if you are to know God. One theologian, he says it like this. Knowing God is so much more than simply knowing or doing the right things. Knowing God all comes down to trusting Christ and the only way to God, understanding Christ as the only truth of God, and seeking Christ as the only source of life from God. All, all of today's message really culminates in this. Knowing God comes down to knowing the person of Jesus Christ. And so for those of us today, if you've already trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I believe this text is very clear. It reminds us to turn from any false idols, to seek after Christ alone, because Christ is sufficient for us daily. He alone can satisfy. And we can approach him now out of the work that the great, the great price he paid for us upon the cross to be adopted into God's kingdom. And I believe that for all of us, if we have trusted in him, and we need to be reminded that he alone is our only way, our only truth, and our only life that's worth living. And now perhaps for those in the room today who have not trusted in Jesus Christ, then I would simply ask you this, friend, what are you waiting for today? You see, Christ offers you the way, whereas in the world, you'll be lost. Christ offers us the truth, whereas in the world, we'll be sold lies. And Christ offers us life, whereas in the world we'll only find death. And so no one comes to the Father except through him. This is the message that Christ shares with us today. In John chapter 10, the Jews, they go and they seek to stone Jesus. And listen, I want you to listen to what the scriptures say in John chapter 10. This is verses 31 to 33. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which one of them are you going to stone me? And the Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. You see, friends, Jesus Christ was crucified for blasphemy. The Jews didn't recognize who he truly was, but they certainly understood who he truly stated to be. He wasn't just a good teacher, he wasn't just a wise person. He claimed that he was God in the flesh and the only way to God. And so if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, then I don't believe that you can walk out of this room today without making a decision about who you really believe Jesus Christ to be. If you believe that he was just a man, then you haven't really understood what Jesus said about himself. And if you believe that he was just a good teacher, then you haven't really understood all of his teachings because he stated that he was much more than that. You see, many 
people, as we go back through human history, many people, religions, leaders, they've claimed to point the way. Many have claimed to point to the truth. Many have claimed to point to life. But only Jesus Christ says that he himself is the way. He himself is the truth. And he himself is the life. No other religion, no other person, no one else in history can make that statement except Jesus Christ. And so I believe that Christ's arms are open and that if you haven't trusted in him today, then right now in this seat where you are, he is calling you to put your faith in him. And you can simply pray to him today. You can confess your sins, recognizing that Christ came from heaven to die in your place upon that cross and that by faith you can receive eternal life with Christ trusting him alone as your Lord and Savior today. You can make that decision to turn from your sin and to follow Christ. If you're in that boat, I'd ask you to speak to the person who brought you here. Come speak to us when service ends and we'd be happy to praise God with you if you've decided to take that step today. We heard even in junior high day camp this past week how three young individuals made that life-changing decision. For the rest of us, church, I want you to understand this. Christianity is more than just a creed. It's more than just a set of beliefs. It's more than just a doctrinal system. All of those things are important, but most of all, Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we have no other way. There is no other truth and there is no other life. The disciples left everything to follow Christ and Christ's greatest comfort to them in his last moments was to reveal to them who he truly was. And so I want to close our time with the often quoted passage of John chapter 3, verses 16 to 17. And church, I want you to hear this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Church, would you bow your heads with me now as we pray? Father in heaven, Thank you for this time that we've spent together truly learning about who you are. Lord, there was so much in your word today. And we've seen that by your claim that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and the only one who provides access to the Father, we've seen that we can have a great assurance of our future with you. For those of us that have trusted in you already, I pray that today's words would be comfort for us, Lord, just as you sought to comfort the disciples with this, that we'd be comforted by the reality of who you are and that we ourselves ought to be motivated now, Lord, to share this good news of the gospel with others so that they too may know the way, that they may enter into a relationship with you. For those of us here today, Lord, who don't know you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That by the power of your spirit, Lord, may you adopt more into your kingdom and may they too have the privilege of calling you God the Father because they've entered into a relationship with you and they've trusted upon Jesus Christ's work on that cross. Help us all to know what truly, Lord, that to know God is to know the Son. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our hearts to walk in intimate fellowship with you, whether that be through time in your word time in prayer, or time with one another. We ask that you would guide us now and that you would do all of this for your glory in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.